Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. What has happened in PostShifters? Welcome back to another episode of the PostShift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, today, our special guest is all the way from Bangkok. That's why I'm an hour late um, launching this today because I completely screwed up the time difference, which should be something I used to be used to after being in Singapore last year. So we're talking to uh, Christopher Menning from Bangkok. He is uh, head of marketing for the Chameleon Group. We're going to talk about that a little bit. It's a big startup that he's just joined. Um, founding and managing director of the Gastronomer uh, lifestyle, and I'm going to keep screwing that name up for sure this whole time. And uh, he is the host of On the Back Bar uh, with uh, Christopher Menning. It's a nice podcast that he started recently. So um, I'm just going to flick a couple of switches here, guys, and we're going to get him in to the show. Welcome, Chris. Thanks so much. Hi. For- Good morning from Bangkok. How are you doing, Mr. Saul? I'm doing very, very well. Um, so what's the weather like there right now? Uh, it's it's hot. It's always hot in Bangkok. Yeah, we kind of go from summer to summer. And uh, yeah, other than sort of uh, three months of torrential rain, it's sort of constantly jump from aircon to aircon. But it's not too bad right now. Yeah, I, I think I was there. Uh, it would have been a couple of months ago in 2019. So I think it was about about September, October. So I obviously just joined um, the, the torrential monsoon season because... Well, I remember it just raining and flooding and everything. And so I had a great time yeah. while I was there. Um, so let's kick it off. Uh, you know, if you've ever listened to my podcast, um, I love origin stories. So I'm always curious at what, what could you start in the game? Where was it? And uh, why did you get into it? Sure. Okay. Well, I hope you got a bit of time to listen. Uh, so I've been in hospitality for just over a decade, about 11 years now. And uh, as with most people, and a lot of people on my show and your show probably, I fell into it. And it was very much a case of um, starting in a dodgy student bar, pulling pints, um, not making much money, but just really enjoying it. I kind of wanted to be part of that sort of, uh, you know, fun environment, you know, with all my friends. But what quickly happened is I realized I did have a passion for it, food and drink. And uh, it got to the point, I think I was a couple of years in, where I realized, okay, if I want to go further, I should step this up. So I went to university in Brighton. Uh, Brighton's in the south of England, south coast, closest you can get to France possible, basically. And uh, I had a great time. Brighton's a really small city, but the food and drink scene there is incredible. And uh, I ended up joining a cocktail bar called Shuffle, which was a flare bar. And uh, I was absolutely terrible. I, I never did good at all. Like the guys I worked with for like, you know, three bowls at a time. Yeah. But what was really good about that bar is they had uh, a list of 120 recipes. And it's quite a, quite a gruesome uh, sort of training. You had to like memorize everything, you know, uh, with written tests. But that caught, just started the clogs moving, you know. So um, by a year in, I wanted to go a bit further, and I started in a place called Hotel Devan, which was uh, a boutique hotel with uh, French-inspired cuisine. But they had a great uh, bar, and uh, the guy who ran it at the time, Ben Manchester, had amassed a collection of. I think it was probably like 200, 250 spirits. So I just was bombarded with all this information. Between Shuffle and Hotel Devan, my knowledge just it just grew and grew and grew. So um, a few years into there, I actually got headhunted by a place called Grave Tie Manor. So Grave Tie is uh, it's a beautiful 15th century manor house in Ashdown Forest. 
for those who are listening in the UK, they might know Ashdown Forest is where Winnie the Pooh was in, the, the yellow bear. So <laughs> we, uh, it was actually a living position. So it really was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we lived in with about 30 other staff and I was the bar and lounge manager. And at the time, they didn't have a bar really. It was sort of more just gin and tonics, wine. Uh, I was hired at the same time as a guy called Alexi, who was a head sommelier. And between us, we drove this amazing, amazing beverage program. And uh, I remember the time when I started, there was like, I think through the year, they sold 500 cocktails. Oh, wow. And by the time we put this program in place, we got up to about 6,000 a year. So we really did well. That cocktail menu also got to imbibe drink system of the year, which gave me a lot of exposure, uh, access to the, the sort of bar community in London. So I, I think it was during that time where just everything really kind of like started going quite big in my life for hospitality. I was attending a lot of trade shows. I was part of competitions. Uh, I started traveling. I went to France to visit Hennessy, Champagne as well, Tattinger. So um, that, that was sort of it, but it, it got to the point where I wanted to see more, you know, I'd been in the UK for such a long time. Uh, I knew that outside of the UK, food and drink was a lot bigger and especially the beverage scene. But um, backtracking a bit, I actually did a bit of backpacking when I was younger and I uh, went to Southeast Asia, as you do. And uh, I remember I started in Bangkok. And uh, what, what's quite funny about Bangkok, a lot of people, they, they come here, they go to Khao San Road, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of uh, the, the backpacker party central. Um, and then they go, they go to the north to the mountains, they go south to the beach. But I, I didn't go there. I actually stayed in Bangkok and started exploring all these hidden bars, these amazing food and street food. And I stayed, I just stayed for probably about a month and fell oh, wow. in love. Yeah. So uh, I obviously did a bit of Vietnam after that. I did Singapore for a while, but um, Bangkok was, was always calling me back. So after my backpacking, I went uh, back to my job. I handed him a notice in within two months and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm just literally going to go for it. Um, what I was also doing at the time is starting my own uh, website, blog, Gastronomer Lifestyle. And uh, it's a lot different to what it, it was back then. Uh, I had to pivot a lot and change, but, but that was basically um, my main focus to sort of say, hey, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move to Bangkok and I'm going to make this startup successful. So, so um, if I can go back a little bit, how did you sure. go from a flare bar to a fancy boutique hotel because this is a, a very similar to the sort of the, the trajectory I had when I was younger. How'd you go from a flare bartender, like at, at a student bar, to getting your foot in the door in a high end, a high end uh, boutique hotel? It was a lot of luck and knowing the right people as well. Yeah. Um, I actually just, um, I, I've always had a bit of confidence with jobs. So I just kind of went in there and I saw this, uh, no, that's right. At university, we did a tour there. I remember. And I was like, wow, oh, this place is cool. I really like it. So within the week I went down, I said, hi, can I talk to the bar manager? Met him. His name is Ben. I said, I want a job here, dude. Like, I'm happy to wait, but whenever you got a job, let me know. Uh, they did have a full-time position at that time. So yeah, I, I was very lucky on that point. Wow. Cause I think sometimes people think that they get stuck in a rut and I think, Mm. hospitality industry we get into it because it is so diverse and so crazy we can do whatever we want really change the way we and then one point once people get into it they get into the sort of right of like oh i only can do fast service or i can only do this where if you just want to look at a job and go hey that's something that i'd be curious at doing like I'll just go in and drop my resume off and you never know what's going to happen yeah you, you really just got to put yourself out there 
Uh, one thing I, I've always been quite good is I've always kind of had like uh, two years for each single place, you know, because I feel that in hospitality, a lot of people jump around too much and they don't take in enough knowledge from mm -hmm. each venue. So I've always kind of had that that two year point everywhere I go. That's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. So once you like going back to Brighton and, and building a cocktail menu, like the one thing I find very difficult in this day and age, especially with social media and stuff, obviously the awards, the imbibe drink list of the award and stuff like that. Like what was the driving force for you? Because obviously changing a culture that much in the venue at the best of times in a big city is difficult, has this massive hurdles. You've got guests who push back on it. This is sort of thing. What was the driving force for you to sort of go, you know what, I'm in the middle of nowhere where Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh was written and staged. Let, yeah. let, let's write a cocktail menu that's going to blow everybody's minds. Like what was the driving force and what kept you sort of motivated? Because I know when you start launching a new cocktail menu and then you get like criticism and, well, let's say just criticism on something. I agree. Yeah. From people who are used to going there and having their dinner and having a gin and tonic or having a whiskey and you're sort of trying to lead them down a path. What was the what was the driving point and the the sort of motivation that sort of pushed you for that? Obviously, confidence is a big thing, and you obviously you've got plenty of that. But <laughs> there's always a point where you're just like, you go home at the end of the night, and you're just like, what am I doing? I've made a horrible life decision right now. <laughs> um, to be honest, a lot of it was about um, just my own desire to create something. You know, I'm I'm a creator. That's how I kind of class myself. But um, it is also about storytelling. And uh, one of the things I found with Gravetie, when I first started, a lot of the staff there just thought it was not going to happen. People don't like cocktails. Mm -hmm. A lot of the clientele have been going there all their life. They were like retired, some retired 50, 60. And yeah, they, they weren't into cocktails, you know? So it was like, how do you, how do you create a cocktail menu yet still access these people and, and make them want to enjoy it? So with any, any kind of venue I go to, I always look at who's coming first. You look at you your client base, who's in the area, and storytelling I thought was key to what I had to do. So these people had really cherished memories of Gravetime Manor. You know, their their parents took them there, they, they grew up there as kids, they, they loved the food, they loved the staff. So I had to create a cocktail menu around that. So actually each signature cocktail was based on an area in, in the manor. So we had one which was the flower garden, uh, which was in a beautiful box, like a terrarium we had like flowers from the garden that went in edible flowers uh we had the kitchen garden so i was really lucky they had a one acre wall kitchen garden where we could use all the produce so we did things like uh you know artichoke uh, liqueurs and like you know uh rocket fat washed mezcal and made this amazing vegetable garden cocktail but but it was about these these key points in grave tie and uh, creating a cocktail around it and telling the story and uh yeah it, it was so popular people loved it and so you make the move to Bangkok and it does seem relatively impulsive to you've already, you've already launched your, your website, your blog. Um, then you move across the world and Bangkok's cocktail scene is, is definitely picking up. I think Southeast Asia gets a lot of attention cause it's so big, so massive, massive population, but I still, I still feel like the, the cocktail scene and the, the culture in Singapore, including Singapore, is still very young and very youthful. Um, you know, like you think about Singapore and what the first cocktail bar is only, like the very first, well, cocktail bar, uh, 28 HK is only, it's just gone 10 years old now. And that's a very young culture in comparison to San Francisco and New York, but there's a ton of attention in that area that they get for it. So what was, what was the driving force to make you go to Bangkok? Now, fair enough, you 
backpacked and he enjoyed it. But to move the whole entire life from Brighton to Bangkok is uh, that's actually the title of your autobiography right there. From Brighton to Bangkok. <laughs> yeah, right. What was the what was the the real push behind it? Yeah, so I mean, quickly on the the industry in in Southeast Asia, there's um, I agree it's a very young market, but it's sort of grown exponentially. It's it's incredible to see some of the talents, some of the bars that are arising here. They really are world class, and we're we're lucky in Bangkok to have four of uh, the Asia fifty best bars here. But um. It's just growing so fast, and I think you know these bartenders just have such a thirst for knowledge and and have created an amazing things. Singapore was sort of the main uh, start of all that, and it kind of spread out. But for me to come to Bangkok um, during my backpacking uh, as a foodie, I was looking for you know resources to find the best food, the best street food, best drinks, mm-hmm. and I found it, there was not much out there. You know, you had Lonely Planet, but I don't know if you've read Lonely Planet going around, but the one guy, the cocktail he only recommends is mojitos. And I'm thinking, there's a bit more than mojitos out there. <laughs> uh, same with online. I found that um, a lot of Google sort of reviews and stuff, uh, the place had been closed for a long time. Mm. There's also a lot of uh, publications which uh, do paid sort of um, content. And I've never been to the venue. Yeah. And I, I was finding this a lot. So that was sort of a big drive for my blog. And it was also the drive why I wanted to come to Bangkok because for those uh, who haven't been here, it's a melting pot of cultures and, and rich diversity and food. You know, you'll be on the corner having chicken, uh, chicken rice. Uh, and then around the next corner, there's like a mission style restaurant on the 35th floor of a skyscraper. It's like really that diverse. So I thought it was like the perfect place to start, you know, and so how did you change how you said that you uh, sort of pivoted with the the blog and the, the website um once you moved to southeast asia how did how did your mentality towards it change oh yeah i mean um, i was very naive going into it very naive firstly um starting a, a website and a business is tough it always is especially when you don't really know where it's kind of going it's kind of i uh it's always organically grown mm-hmm. and i think um one of the big things one of the biggest challenges I had was actually building a website. Uh, I originally hired a team to build it for me. What that happened is uh, there was a lot of problems down the line because it wasn't the way I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year during the lockdown, I actually just scrapped it all, started again, built it all myself. Oh, wow. So uh, there was a lot of things I had to learn. And, you know, the whole journey has been like a huge learning process. You know, you kind of, uh, you want to do something, but you have to go back and take it apart, mm-hmm. you know. And that was a a lot of what I've been doing over the last couple of years. So also understanding what it was I wanted to give. Uh, At first I thought, well, it's just a blog, people will read it, you know, but there was a point where I had to sort of adjust what I was giving. What what am I giving to my readers? You know, what can I give back? Mm -hmm. How am I useful? So a lot of that kind of happened as well. So with uh, the blog, obviously, what what year did you start the, the blog? Yeah, so I started uh, 2018 now. Uh, yeah, so a few years. But uh, um, okay. so with with a passion project like this, like obviously, I, I've got a couple of passion projects that I've been doing for about the same time too. And you get to a stage where you're like, okay, you know, there's only so much alcohol I can buy out of my pocket before like you got to start figuring out how to monetize your passion, which I think is a difficult thing in our industry because we do it so for passion. 
like we're creative, we're, we're passionate people. We were like thinking about money is like usually the last thing on our mind. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this and give the, the industry this way and this way and this way. But then you get to the end of the month and like, oh, I got bills to pay. Um, how is how a balancing act between a passion project and also trying to like figure out a way to like monetize it and keep it going? Because without it, you can't, without money and funding and revenue, you can't, keep pushing and putting 40, 50 hours into a project like this. hundred percent. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I was naive because I quit my job and thought, oh yeah, it's going to be great. I'll do it in a couple of months. Uh, flashback two years. Now we're like, you know, still going, but, um, for anyone who's doing a startup or has an idea, I would definitely say, keep your job until you feel it's, it's ready. Uh, I did not do that. And, and somehow I made it here, but, uh, I think monetization is definitely important, especially if you want to have it as your full-time venture. Um, a lot of how it's grown now. So for those who are listening or will be listening, go to gastronomylifestyle.com. It's uh, it's an incredible online publication. So it's evolved from a blog to that. And now we actually have a, an online directory of restaurants, bars. You can go into Bangkok, find from street food to mission style restaurants. We have bios, links to book. Uh, we also do in-depth content from my podcast, also like cocktail recipes. So there's a lot of in-depth content there and, and quite useful information as well. But monetization was important, very true. And uh, when you have sort of anything digital, it, it usually comes down to A, sponsored content or, or B, advertisement. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm quite lucky. I have a lot of different uh, routes of monetization through the site. A lot of it has been with uh, the partnerships I have. So Agoda, uh, people can book hotels through Agoda once that's set up. Uh, I haven't done it yet because no one's traveling. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to wait, really. But, uh, even restaurants, you can book restaurants on my platform. Uh, I, I get commission from uh, Chope, which oh, is an online booking nice. platform. Uh, we do sponsored content. So um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of effort and time that went into that to, to say, how do I make money, but also not try and rip people off. And, and yeah, a lot of it was about, okay, we're giving them access to these sort of booking links or, or content that, that is useful. And I make a bit of money on the side. Uh, it's pretty much all affiliations. Mm-hmm. And so where did uh, the Chameleon Group, which is a pretty recent new venture for you, sort of play into yeah. your marketing for that? How did that sort of play into it? Because obviously, I think you stepped almost stepped away from being that cocktail guy, which I've always had big struggles with people going, you're the cocktail guy. And you're like, well, <laughs> I kind of do a lot more other stuff. But no, you do cocktails. Um, what is the, what's the Chameleon Group? Give us the 411 on Chameleon Group. Sure. I mean, this is a really new venture. We just started. Uh, I'm really, really happy to be part of. So uh, there's a bit of backstory. There's a distribution company uh, called Brand Connect in Asia, and uh, they actually distribute a lot of big spirits and well-crafted spirits across uh, the region. So a um, guy called Kieran, who ran the marketing department there, he's decided to start his own company um, called The Chameleon Group. And this is basically a creative marketing agency. I've joined along him to, to kickstart this all off as the head of marketing. And uh, it's pretty exciting because we're still working really closely with Brand Connect. And because of that, we've got all these clients that moved over already. So we're, we're already doing a lot of big things with, um, I can't say too much yet because we're still getting <laughs> there, but, but yeah, we've got a, a big soft drink giant, a couple of gin brands, vodka, um, and it's really fun. You know, you're right, I'm, I'm not the cocktail guy anymore. I'm now the guy sitting doing Excel sheets, <laughs> but, but it's kind of fun because I'm actually, uh, my main role is to create these big activations for Thailand. Like how do these brands get into Thailand? Mm 
and uh, sort of access the market. So I do a lot of uh, big events that I plan uh, with, you know, these world-class bars, hotels, restaurants, and uh, yeah, big thing is like making sure they go ahead. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think you're. It's pretty much. I can see why they started it now. It seems like it's the right time right now, is to do this sort of huge thing because there's not anyone really doing it. You go to an event planner and the event planner is like, I've never done anything like this. I'm not going to do ice luges and custom cocktails and get the bartenders involved and all sort of stuff. Um, what's the what's your long-term goal for, like, you, you personally and career-wise? Like, what's what's the long-term goal with Gastronomer? Because I think, I think in my head, I've got it in my head what I think you want to do long-term with it being a... Okay. a big tourism food tourism sort of platform um but what's the long-term goal yeah um so the, the big thing is i want it to be uh, the number one resource for food and drink tourism you know, i want people to have that when they go to another country and um there's lots of channels i want to kind of implement in the future a digital guidebook that you can download to your phone uh, which would be like a yearly guidebook saying the best places to eat drink and sleep essentially and a lot of the things i want to do as well is sort of celebrate food and drink tourism more uh, one of the, the big things I'm planning this year is a, a food and drink award ceremony to sort of uh, rival some of the competition that's out there already because I feel, without naming names, that uh, some of these big giants that are already doing it, they've lost a lot of faith um, in terms of their, their process. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not transparent anymore. And I think a lot of people realize they sort of pay to play. So uh, I kind of wanted to challenge the status quo. And actually, it's um, it's going to be quite cool near the end of the year. But the big part of it, it's going to be public vote is the majority of the sort of driving uh, yeah. force. There will be judges, uh, which will be a lot of influencers or people in the industry. But I think it should be public vote. I really do, because I think having that transparency and, and you know, just collective community doing that is so much more better. With with these lofty with lofty goals going forward this year, obviously twenty twenty one, no one really knows what's going to happen. Are we going to be able to travel? Are we not going to be able to travel? Are we going to be able to leave the country? We, we're we're about to be locked down again here in Canada. Um, do you find that dealing with bigger government run DMOs? We were talking about this off camera. The destination marketing organizations, the tourism bodies that do fantastic pictures of Bangkok and talk about food culture. Do you think they take it as seriously as they do with the hotels and the, the, the cruise ships and transport and that sort of thing? Uh, a little bit better in Bangkok compared to other places, I think because uh, food culture is such a big thing here, um, but probably not enough. Um, and I think, you know, food and drink tourism is such a big thing these days. People literally travel for gastronomic experiences. You know, a lot of the budget, I think it's something like 70% of people's budget goes on food and drink experiences now. And it's, it's such a undermarketed sort of industry. And, and it's something I'm really trying to be part of. And we've got some uh, boards like the Tourism Authority of Thailand, which I'm talking to at the moment, and to hopefully do some really cool things with. Um, but yeah, I think there definitely needs more of that. We're also planning a bit of video content. Uh, we want to do these sort of mini documentary series uh, about what it's like to work in the F&B scene here or, you know, street food tours and stuff like that. So hopefully um, with me, Gastronomer Lifestyle and, and the boards, if they're open to it, I can really like push this a lot further. So let's, like, people ask me this all the time, how do you find time for it all? Because you do the podcast. We haven't even talked about on the back bar. Like how do you, right. how do you find time like to juggle um, a number of things? Because doing a food and drinks, awards and uh, a yearly guidebook is no no mean feat 
no no i mean even the website takes up so much time but yeah i have to really uh, juggle a lot um i'm kind of used to it i've always kind of had that uh I just, I always want to do stuff, you know, I'm constantly creating and, and moving and it's like, it, it's what keeps me alive. I have to be hungry to, to create. Um, it's tough. I, I have to be very regimented these days mm -hmm. uh, in terms of my sleep, my diet, uh, how much I drink, um, because it's very easy to slip into a, a rut, as we mentioned earlier. And you sort of like, if you don't look after your body, um, your mental energy goes and you kind of have to really focus on that. Um, I've always got a notebook with me, constantly writing notes down. And uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's that, that drive and hunger to, to want to do stuff, you know. And where do you think this comes from? Like, what, what, when did you launch on the back bar, the podcast? Yeah, so I launched uh, pretty much when I came to Bangkok, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, so it's very new. Uh, we're early on to episode 35, I think, now. So yeah, it, it's, it's very new. I've been learning as I go. Um, you're a big inspiration, your podcast. So thank you for that, man. Um, and it's nice to be on the show <laughs> to be able to like say I, I've got there as well. But um, yeah, that's um, that's gone really well as well. I, I didn't expect it to be so popular. Um, we've had some amazing guests, which I, I never thought we would either. So uh, yeah, it's kind of good. And I, I kind of separate my weeks now. So every Sunday is my podcast day. Okay. Um, I might record in the week, but Sunday's where I edit, where I do my artwork and, and go out from there. Do you, uh, do you do one a week? Um, I try to. Yeah, it's it's been tough recently, but um, yeah, usually it's once a week, once a fortnight. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, recording-wise, usually I'll do two or three in a week and then I can pace it out. That That's mm -hmm. sort of the ideal situation. Um, but it's also tough. Like I, I've had to record it. Uh, 3 a.m. before because someone's in America and they've just finished work and it's the only time I can talk to them. Well, it's 8:30. Like, <laughs> it's 8:30 in Canada right now. Right. If, yeah. So if it, was, if it was on the East Coast, we're talking at like 11:30, almost midnight. So yeah, I do find the same thing. Like I, I, I thought about this in 2020 with the podcast. I was like, you know what? This year I'm going to really knuckle down and do my live streams on a very particular day and time. And mm -hmm. then I started reaching out to like yourself. Um, I want to do Jake Berger as well. And I'm just like, well, that throws that out completely out the window. Cause that everybody, as soon as you go outside of North America, you're screwed. You can't do a set. Right. You can't do yeah. a set time. You can't do a set day. Um, do you think that the, the podcast is um, a really good value add? I found uh, at the end of 2020, um, I've actually started getting consulting gigs and stuff out of my mm -hmm. podcast. Um, do you think it's just another, another layer of, like you were saying about video doing documentaries and stuff, do you think it's just another layer of information to get the word out? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's a resource. Um, really it's, I created it for people in the industry to learn, you know, and I'm learning as I go, which I love about it. And for those who don't know uh, on the bat bar podcast, it's a drinks uh, podcast focus on uh, mostly the beverage scene. But um, what I love about it is that each episode is so different, so unique. You know, we, we talk about, some incredible things like uh, Camille Vidal was on talking about healthy hedonism, uh, you know, non-alcoholic beverages, your well-being. And then we go over to Philip Duff and we're talking about the history of Geneva. And, you know, it's, it's always, every episode is very different and unique. And, you know, what's, uh, for those who are going to listen, I would say don't start from number one and work your way up. Just choose <laughs> one you think is most relevant to you right now, you know. Do you have a fanboy um, out? Huh? Do you have a fanboy out? I fanboy out hard. Like when I when I did my two hundredth episode with Dal the Groff, like it's it's, oh, okay. it's freaking Dal the Groff, like <laughs> yeah. you know J Julie Reiner, 
um julie reiner was another one like i was like giddy like a schoolgirl when i first like when that morning i was like oh my god i'm gonna and i've got you know like when we say relationships there's much more of uh like facebook relationships or at shows relationships you know you walk past them at tales like oh i know you but you never actually sit down and have a full-on conversation um but yeah i yeah. I, I still fanboy out. i'm still whenever i sit down with duff or anything like that i'm still that 26 year old australian kid who came to canada and knew nobody and all right. the, i have an opportunity to like interview dal the groff there's um there's definitely been some people which i just never expected to be on the show and i was like i i always have this like list of uh people that i want to come on and it's like uh okay this is the wish list yeah. and I, I found that pretty much everyone i've reached out to have been so open to him like yeah yeah of course we'll come on and you know salvatore calbrazi was pretty cool caroline rosen president of tales of the cocktail i never expected her to come on but she was great you know we were talking about gardening and stuff really cool person so yeah, I'm really sorry to pause this, but I have to put my laptop on charge. I should have done that before. <laughs> One second. <laughs> See, we're, we're, we're all still learning as we go. <laughs> yes, I do. Okay, I'm back. Apologies. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been very, very fortunate. The amount of people on the show that have come on, um, I've got a huge list of people coming on the show too. What, what's been good is a lot of people have been contacting me now to come on, uh, which I didn't have before. So that obviously shows popularity and, and you know, people find it. It's uh, a nice feeling. Yeah, it is, man. It is for sure. I, I'm actually taking a different route now. I've um, very much like you, I'm going to have a couple of shows within the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so the next one I'm starting up, I haven't got a name for it yet. I'm terrible with names. Um, it's basically about startups and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. in F &B, about people starting these um these really small companies and growing them into something quite special uh so the most recent episode which is coming out in a week's time was with drinksmith mm -hmm. and uh, these guys have a bottled cocktail company that's really unique i don't know if you've seen it before but it's like a twist cap technology so the citrus and the alcohol are suspended and it's cold pressurized Oh. So the shelf life is can like seven months, but when you twist it and shake it, you've got the this cocktail. But they've had some incredible bartenders helping with the recipes. So yeah, check them out. They're cool. I will. Um, okay, so I'm not going to keep you much longer tonight because you got work to do, and I'm it's game to eight thirty on a on a Sunday. Um, right. <laughs> your favorite bar in the world? I, I'm I've read this on a couple of your bios and your profiles and stuff like that. What's your favorite bar in the world? Oh, I wonder if it's still the same. Uh, Atlas Bar in Singapore. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. Did you go there when yeah, you were there? it is gorgeous. That it's phenomenal, room, right? That room is just... And the funny thing is I always thought it was a hotel. And I always thought, like, you walk in, yeah. like, oh, this must be, like, one of the colonial old hotels in Singapore because there's tons of those buildings down the finance right. district there. And then Jesse's like, yeah, no, dude, we built... This is all built from scratch. I'm like, what? It's it's crazy. You've, it's, it looks like a hotel bar. It's the most yeah. extravagant... Thing i've ever seen you just feel in awe when you walk in um yeah it's a great bar for anyone who haven't been there just go check it out really and it just blows it just blows my mind because there is like when you think about it just as purely from a financial business point of view just like the ceilings are what 40 30 40 like feet high and you're like well, yeah you could have put a mezzanine floor across there and doubled your doubled your, your right <laughs> put, in, put more people in but it is just an absolute awe um yeah what is it when it comes to like because i always find it funny when it comes to best bars people have it obviously it's always subjective my favorite bar in the world is probably old man in singapore 
Oh man, Singapore is just. It, I was spoiled yeah. because I I lived upstairs for five months, so I lived upstairs. Oh, lucky. <laughs> oh, and so is my local. And when you have a long day, it's good that you can go in there, but it's also difficult that you've got to try and walk past and try and like miss Andrew and the team because if they're out having a smoke, that you know you're going in, you're going to be there till three o'clock in the morning. So and you're like, no, I got, I got work to do. I got work to do. Leave me alone. Let me go upstairs to my room. Um, but it's just something about that bar that laid back the team everything that just sort of made it for me and i've been living upstairs doesn't help does helps as well um mm. so with with that like having the best bar having the best restaurant do you feel um that as you were saying with the people's choice do you feel like that's going to give a lot more of that subjectiveness to the whole awards that you're sort of playing on because i think you know who you're talking about with their inspectors and whatnot and Mm-hmm. people have got their own style you know people have got their own sort of feel and i think it's changed a little bit with a few street food vendors getting special awards and stuff like that in recent years but it is so specific like not everybody's a 50 year old white cis male who only likes french cuisine which right. it's that's a big that's a big thing same thing with cocktails and and bar awards and stuff like that like there's certain places that you go in that's a dive bar and you really, really love it. I think Southeast Asia's got a really good um, take on that too, especially Bangkok and Singapore to a degree, but like Pontiac and, and that sort of thing. Like these bars aren't your traditional cocktail bars, but they're getting in the, these award ceremonies. So what is your definition of like, what what's something that you ch- look for as a, mm. as a blogger and that sort of thing? Because I understand being a blogger, you want to be as honest as possible, give back to your, your followers in an honest way, mm-hmm. not not just because someone's paid for your dinner, but um, no, no. Yeah. what's your, I mean, what's your um, general consensus? Firstly, I mean, I, I want to say that I do write a lot, um, which people see on my website, but if I don't like a place, I just won't write about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, are, there are some, well, there's one particular publication in Bangkok, which are really good at just tearing people apart <laughs> because they feel that's what people love to read. But um, no, I won't. I'm very uh, honest, uh, constructive feedback. Uh, especially with venues, if I've been to a place and I love it, but there was a few things I feel were a bit misplaced, I'll email them. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, nine times out of ten, it goes down really well because they appreciate honest feedback, not done online, you know, on a Facebook yeah. group, but actually personally. Um, but yeah, there's always there's definitely a criteria which I'll set in the in the food awards as well. Uh, things like the sort of the venue and the ambience, the quality of the cuisine, um, the hospitality and service, you know. There, there are definitely uh, key pillars that I look for. And I think it has to be a balance of all of them, you know. It really does. You can go to, um, I've been to some amazing fine dining restaurants. And the food's on point. It, it's, you know, they have amazing, like, uni and sushi from, like, Japan and, you know, all this soft wagyu. But, but the service wasn't there. Yeah. And it was dry in, in the venue. There was no music. And, yeah, it, it, you have to have the mix, you know. Yeah, I have I have one lady at La Palsat. She I went to her every time and I was the weird white big tall guy that went in and had like trotters and trotters and duck sauce and and duck noodle soup and that would be my lunch you go and drop 10 bucks down she's like yep and you would just say thank you very much and that would be it but it was one of my favorite dining experiences while i was in singapore was this little stand so but man thank you so much for your time and i really appreciate um i just love hearing about your story like you're you're the same sort of i think there's a lot of things that are very similar to me it's like when people go oh how do you do it all like wake up in the morning check all your emails do all your social media before you even go to the toilet like yeah much if you maximize every single minute of your day it's been a pleasure to come on the show thanks a lot man i really appreciate it
Thank you very much. So I'll chat to you really soon. Thanks, Sean. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.